Philippians chapter 2, we'll begin by reading verses 12 and 13. The Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Amen. So this is the second message in a row now that has started with the word wherefore, which means we need to consider what's just been said in the context beforehand. Remember that in the opening verses of this chapter, there's a call to unity, service, and humility among the saints. And then we are given the example of Christ and His humility. He made Himself of no reputation. He took upon Himself the form of a servant. He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And as a result of Jesus' humble obedience to His Father's will, God hath now highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, and every knee will bow. What a thought. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that brings us to verse 12. Wherefore? Wherefore, with all that you know about Christ and His humble obedience, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So with Christ as our example, we are now being directed to be obedient as well. That's what we're supposed to do. Amen, preacher, that's good. Obedience and the Christian life go hand in hand. Listen, this message scalded me, so don't think I'm beating you up. Obedience and the Christian life go hand in hand. An immediate sign of immaturity in a believer's life is disobedience. And for Paul, the notion of habitual disobedience it was just absurd. They don't go together. Listen, as Christians, they don't go together. We're not talking that we don't have issues, that we don't struggle. But as Christians, as God's children, we ought to be obeying our Heavenly Father. Listen, His commands are not grievous. They're not hard to bear. They're for our good. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. How can those who belong to an obedient Savior continually disregard obedience themselves? Can we really assume that a pattern of persistent disobedience is somehow tolerable in the Christian life? And how is it that some never really seem to grow at all after being in church services for decades? Have you met these? They've done nothing for God except sit in church. Fifty years. Well, we get some answers to those questions here in verses 12 and 13. 
And as Paul begins to address these things, we see that he's kind in the way he does. Amen, Independent Fundamental Baptist? He's kind in the way he does. He begins by addressing them as his beloved, meaning that they're very dear to him. Philippians 4.1, it says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. These aren't just superficial, sentence-filling words for the Apostle Paul. These, this is what he meant. This is what he felt in his heart. This is how he cared for them. And this is the true love that is supposed to be found within a body of Christ. Paul had a genuine care for the saints in Philippi. And as Paul is giving this exhortation to them, he wants them to be assured, look, I care for you. After all that Paul had been through in establishing the church at Philippi, after all that he invested personally, he had earned the right to speak to them directly. I wonder if anybody's ever said something forceful to you and you either thought within yourself or even maybe even said it out loud. Who do you think you are? I'm sure I've thought that many times. Who do you think you are? And what it is we are really trying to express with that kind of a statement is this. I don't know who you think you are, but you haven't earned the right to talk to me that way. Isn't that right? Isn't that how we feel? Is it okay if we act like we're actually human beings tonight? <laughs> Sometimes before we begin to make an appeal to someone or admonish someone, we need to consider if we've earned the right to be so bold in our assessments of someone else. Clearly, we're bold in the presentation of the gospel. Amen? We're to be clear about obvious dangers we see out there. I'm not, I'm not discounting all that. But in this matter of discipleship, who are you more likely to listen to? Someone you barely know or someone you've grown closer to and now you feel like you can trust them. This is why parents, Sunday school teachers, our academy staff, youth leaders, children program leaders, this is why you're so important in the ministry. You are developing relationships with people that go much deeper than maybe I could ever develop. Right. The truth is, you are far more likely to impact people than I am because of your relationship with them. And I base that statement off of my past. I, I can remember all the pastors I had, but I remember more what my teachers told me over my pastor. Is that like a bad thing to say? Did I just like, y'all are going to fire me now or something? <laughs> but see, that's why the teachers and the workers, they're so important in a church. Because you develop relationships. You're investing in people. I mean, we all are, but there's a different level. And the way you can help me as pastor is to reinforce the truths I give. So that while I may not have that deeper relationship with them, they will come to understand that the voice from the pulpit is for their good. And see, if we don't, if we don't develop that, I believe this is part of the reason why we see so many teens depart. They never were really to told, you know, and listen, I know this, these are crazy times, but they were never really told to trust that voice. I'm not talking about man worship, okay? 
And so there was a disconnect in relationships, and now we kick them out of the youth group. Now who do they connect to? And that's why I'm thankful for our young adults class and how that has gone so well under Brother Chavez. Because now there's a connection point. Right? And, and it's a relationship building that I can't do with everybody. And so you help in that regard is, is what I'm saying. Otherwise, I just become another voice among all the other noises in people's lives. Who's this guy droning on for 40 minutes and when is he going to shut up? And, and listen, if we're exhorting and admonishing someone in the faith, we hopefully have earned the right to do so. And, and that we can honestly address them as our beloved friends. I believe then they will be much more likely to receive it. And at first they may still say, who do you think you are? But in time, because of that friendship, now they begin to see, yes, that person really did care for me. And they really only wanted what was good for me. And so we have to earn that right, I think, sometimes to, to get to some of these deeper levels in order for it to be received. I guess what I'm saying is if you want to be effective, then you must develop relationships. Develop relationships where others know you care about them and you have their best interests in mind. All right, now we see the Apostle Paul, his guidance and his wisdom as one of their spiritual leaders. He goes on to write this, As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So we see that he commends them for their past obedience. That's wonderful. When he was present with them, there was obedience, but... He's also praising them for remaining obedient even when He wasn't there. And isn't that really the key? He's anticipating their continued obedience in the future as they work out their own salvation. And obedience when leadership isn't around is a mark of being a mature believer. (laughs) I'm thinking of my childhood and teacher leaves the room or substitute teacher's there for the day. One thing to be on your best behavior when your parents are around or when your boss is looking over your shoulder or when some authority is present. But how about when you're left alone? How do you act when the teacher is out of the classroom versus when the teacher's in the classroom? And I love this one. This kind of convicted me a little bit. I'll, I'll confess to you. How do we drive when there is no police car behind us? Versus how we drive when we know there's a police car following us. I love cruise control. I just live off that. Amen. I'm like, all right, put the cruise on. I'll zone out. I don't have to worry about speeding. Okay, not zone out. I don't have one of those self-driving cars. How is your performance when you're being evaluated at work versus when you're not being evaluated at work? I know this is touching everybody because we've all done it. How do you act when your boss is gone? I heard Brother Furr say once, who you are when no one else is around is who you really are. Are we really mature Christians if we don't obey when we're left alone? Do we really respect the law if it is only obeyed when we know we are being watched? See, it's all a matter of the heart. Our actions when we are left to ourselves reveal our heart where we are at spiritually. How many people have gone astray just as soon as they were no longer under the gaze of authority? 
I know this has never happened in y'all's homes, but I read this can happen, Lisa. Adrian and I, we can gather the kids around and we can say, all right, we're going to go out to supper. Y'all are going to be on your best behavior, right? Yeah, we sure will. Not going to fight, right? No. And then it's like somebody took a grenade, pulled the pin, threw it in there as soon as we closed the door. Because we come back to a war zone. I thought you told me everything was going to be fine. What happened? There's no authority around. Well, Sydney thought she was the authority. Oh, yeah, she's in here now. Sorry. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> uh, I, okay, well, maybe all your kids are perfect, but... It, you know, it is easy to laugh at things like that because we understand the nature of kids, but as adults, we are often no different than children. But I would say in ways that are much more serious. We see it far too often in all areas and stages of life. Some young person appeared godly, but just as soon as they were on their own, they shipwrecked their life. Some inmate gets released on good behavior and immediately gets picked up as a repeat offender. Some spouse appeared godly, but just as soon as the divorce was final, all the world saw how ungodly they really were. And the other spouse already saw it behind closed doors. Some pastor appeared godly until he ran off with a secretary, embezzled money from the church. For many of us, just as soon as there was an opportunity to disobey, it has happened at some point in our life. And most, if not all of us, have been guilty at one point or another. And I believe it's all part of growing and maturing, believe it or not, because it reveals who we really are, which is going to make more sense as we go. We realize that as for me and my flesh, there dwells no good thing. And that I can't live this Christian life on my own. The problem is when things become habitual and we refuse to deal with it. Continued disobedience is immaturity. So who you are when your parents aren't around, when the teacher leaves the room, when the police are nowhere to be seen, when the boss isn't present, when the pastor is away, or when the spouse is out of town. That's who you really are. What you do when no one else is around speaks more of who you really are. Psalm 26.1, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. David could say, at least at that point in his life, that he had walked in his integrity. When others were not around, he didn't falter because he had integrity. But we also know the other side of that, and we know what happens when David did not walk in his integrity, and he did slide. Proverbs 4 14.2 says, He that walketh in his uprightness feareth the Lord, but he that is perverse in his ways despiseth him. Well, back to our text here. Paul, he calls for their continued obedience into the future by exhorting them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. This is something we are to be doing. We are to work out our own salvation. This, is, this statement is not directed to those outside of Christ. But this is written to those of us who have been born again by the Spirit and power of God. 
we see first of all that this is a personal experience. Work out your own salvation. We all share in what Jude called a common salvation, but God has called us to have a personal walk with Him. Sometimes we get too concerned about how others may or may not be working out their own salvation that we begin to neglect working out our own salvation. While our salvation is secure, while our standing is settled and we are eternally safe with God, our salvation is not a past tense experience. Did you hear what I said? It is a present experience where we are continually calling upon the name of the Lord. And we are always being conformed into the image of Christ. You see, the Bible commands us to continue. This is some of the things I found real quick. We are to continue in His Word, in His love, in His grace, in the faith, in His goodness, in the truth of the gospel, in prayer, in charity, in holiness, in doctrine, in things we have learned, in brotherly love, and we are to continue in the Father and in the Son. We are to have an active faith. A living faith. Look, we are to be working out. Working out our own salvation. Living it out. It's an active faith. We're to manifest the fruits of the Spirit. We have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Listen, we've got to continue to gather together. We must do what we are called to do. What are we called to? We are called to a life of consistency in working out our own salvation. We're not told to work in our salvation. We're not told to work up our salvation. We're not working for our salvation. But we are to work out our salvation. What does that mean? It means we are manifesting God in our lives. We are actually forgiving those who have sinned against us. It means we're actually witnessing to people. It means we are continuing in all of the areas I just cited. We work out our salvations for others to see the life-changing power of the gospel. It's one thing to tell somebody, I've come to Christ and He's my Savior. But it's a whole other thing when ten years later somebody can look and say, Wow! What a difference! Whoop! But too often, what do we see? Just the opposite. When we work out our salvation, we are being good stewards of the salvation which is already ours in Christ. We receive salvation as a free gift. Then we begin to utilize our salvation, if I can put it that way. In other words, we don't understand it all right away. You may have thought you did, but the longer you were saved, the the more you didn't know, right? What did Solomon say? The more I know, the more I know I don't know. Brooks version. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And so in salvation, we don't understand it all the way, but we begin to understand what it means to be in Christ. Sometimes it's joyful, sometimes it's painful. It's like being married. 
you get married, the ceremony's over, and you are now officially husband and wife. But your marriage isn't done yet, is it? No, it's only just begun. You get to know your spouse better than when you first were married. When all the romance of early marriage is over, then comes the process of being married. And if you do things right, then you'll love your spouse more as you work out your marriage. You'll love them more than when you first were married. In time, you've learned the value of being humble. What this chapter is talking about. You've learned the value of serving one another. You've learned the value of being unified. And in so doing, you learn to walk in harmony with one another. You also learn how to push some buttons along the way. (laughs) But over time, you can see how you have become one flesh. And when we think about this verse corporately, we cannot grow as a body of believers unless we learn to work out our own salvation individually. Right? You want to impact the church as a whole, we individually got to get our act together. We will not grow as a church beyond our growth as individuals. We will not have unity collectively unless there is humility individually. As we are personally conformed into the image of Christ, then our congregation as a body will manifest Christ. Just as in a marriage. A marriage is supposed to show forth Christ in the church. And it will not happen until each spouse determines to work on themselves individually. And as they do, they collectively become a picture of Christ in the church. I hope you can see the connection I'm trying to make here. If we want to be effective corporately, we've got to get real individually. We've got to get honest about it. There can only be a collective impact as we individually seek to work out our own salvation. So what we see is salvation is a free gift, but it involves a transformation of our personal lives into the image of Christ. Salvation is is personal. Work out your own salvation. It's practical. You're working. And it's to be worked out presently. The, The grace of God doesn't negate our obedience as we hear so much today in so many circles. That somehow because we're under grace, it's okay if we do whatever we want to do. But the grace of God doesn't negate obedience. Isn't that right? But instead, it gives us the ability to obey. It makes our obedience a reality. Therefore, Christianity isn't where we live like a child of hell six days a week. We come in here one day a week, get things cleaned up, and go back out and repeat the process. That's not what this is telling us. Romans 6, 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace should abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We see at the end of verse 12 that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I believe fear and trembling are missing today because of this hyper grace. There is a seriousness to this process of working out your own salvation. We are to take care to live acceptably in the sight of God. We are to see God in His holiness and allow that to drive a deep sense of humility and submissiveness to Him. 
we're to stand in awe of God. Amen? Amen. This isn't the big man upstairs. This is God Almighty. Amen. This is our Creator. Come on. Psalm 4.4 says, Stand in awe and sin not. We should, try, we should strive to avoid that which is offensive to God and separates us from Him. Psalm 2.11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. With fear and trembling, it should lead us to depend upon Him. We should distrust ourselves. We haven't arrived. Well, that class is just boring to me. Who do you think you are? It just got real up in here, I guess. <laughs> just as an infant who is afraid will cling to the one that's holding them in their arms, so we ought to do the same to our Heavenly Father. To be sure, the fear of God is missing in our day. But I believe when we have a right fear of God, it will drive us to better serve Him. I will remind you of this. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. It's the beginning. Now, as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we see in verse 13 that God is also working in us. Look what it says. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So as we work out, God works in. 2 Peter 1.3, we learn that in salvation, we have been given all things pertaining unto life and godliness. We have all that we need in Christ. And while we have everything we need, Peter goes on to say in verse 5 over there, give all diligence. What is he saying? We have everything we need, but you've got to work. And as we work out, God works in. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy 2.7, Paul wrote, Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. We have a responsibility to consider. We have a responsibility to do our part. And then the Lord gives us understanding or We could say the Lord does His part. As we work out, God works in. In Colossians 1.29, Paul says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. Paul was the one laboring outwardly. The Lord was working inwardly mightily. Paul worked out. Christ worked within. We see examples in the gospel of our Lord telling people things that they could not do. He goes up to the man who's sick of the palsy and he says, Arise, take up thy bed. How's he supposed to do that? He's never done that before. Why? He wanted him to work out so God could work in. There's a a process here. We have to be working And God works within us. We've been commanded to work out our own salvation. And where the Lord commands, He enables us, just as with the sick of the palsy. We must do our part as the Lord does His part. Now, I would not seek to justify anybody who has a lack of growth in their Christian life. But when you find yourself struggling in your Christian life, I do ask you to take heart tonight. Don't forget that that's an indication of God working in you. Where did that conviction come from? 
You think Satan came along and said, boy, I sure hope you get your life right. It is God working in us. I would tell you, confess your sin. Get it under the blood and press on. Keep working. Keep working out your own salvation. Work it out with fear and trembling. If we're going to work out our own salvation as we are commanded, then we must recognize that God has worked His salvation in us by His grace. And by His grace, we continue that work, or He continues that work in us so that we will have the will and we will have the power to do what it is that pleases Him. When you say no to what would please your flesh in a sinful way, you are working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because you know one day you're going to give an account to God. That's a pretty humbling thought. How is it that you even have an interest to turn away from ungodliness? It's the Spirit of God working in you. He's working in us. Both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So salvation, listen. It's not just some date that you can cite back there years ago. Thank God if you can I could rattle out June the 26th, 1990. But that's not the end of my salvation. But salvation is something that after years later, we are still here. We are still working out our own salvation. We are still in the Word of God. We are still praying. We are still witnessing. We are still giving. We are still being faithful. Working out my own salvation. Where does that come from? It's because God wants to do in me something greater than I could ever do. Over time, we recognize what a great and mighty God we serve because we can look back and realize how unworthy we are to even be allowed to be alive because we know without Him we could do nothing and we are nothing. As I close, I want to give you some parting shots here. Don't take from this text that we contribute anything to our salvation. I hope none of that was communicated. God doesn't start us off in salvation and then we just finish it up as we go. We couldn't get it started, we couldn't keep it going, and we could never finish it up. (laughs) That's why I hate the teaching that you can lose your salvation. How? You couldn't earn it? How you got anyway, I'm not gonna go there. We magnify Him for starting our salvation. We bless Him for continuing our salvation and we trust Him that He will finish our salvation. And we know it's finished. But you understand what I'm saying. And don't assume that because God is working in you, then you don't have to work hard at following Christ. Don't get that out of this text. Well, I know God's working in me and so this will be okay. No. It takes effort. It takes work. God isn't just going to magically pour into you the Word of God as you sleep at night. Forget about dreams and visions and all of that stuff for just a moment. Don't worry about some angel coming proclaiming some things to you. You know how you're going to get some stuff? Putting in the time and the effort. Whoop. (laughs) Well, I know God's going to work in me. How in the world is He going to work in you when you won't even do what He asked you to do? Okay, I'm going to... It's not Sunday. I'm trying not to preach, amen? I'm just trying to be dignified tonight. It's Tyler and Mary's first service back. I'm trying to be pastorly. (laughs) Amen. We are to be a slave to Christ. 
He must be our reason for living. It takes your time, your talent, your treasures. He will change you. He will impact your marriage. He'll take control of you being single. But we must be serious about our personal relationship with Christ. And if you don't take it seriously, you're just going to stay a babe in Christ. Or you are going to turn into one of the many who just fade off the scene and we chalk it up to, well, I guess they were never in to begin with. They professed God, but they denied Him in power. And here's another parting shot. Never forget that you are always visible to God. I know I said who you are when you're alone. Well, you're never alone in that God sees. God knows. Isn't it humbling that He knows every thought? Brother Chavez, every thought. Good night. I'm glad my thoughts aren't up here for y'all to read. I doubt you'd even come to hear me preach. He knows every deed. He knows every motive. He knows every word that we speak. He sees it all. He knows it all. And finally, can I tell you this? Remember that God loves. He loves you. Man, we mess up so many times, don't we? But He loves you. And you know what God says? I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to keep working in you to do my will and my good pleasure. Don't forget that. And by the way, what God comes up with is far better than anything you could come up with for your life. In all parts of our life, we need to work out our salvation and be assured that God is working in us. Hallelujah. Would you join me in prayer, please?